You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. One of my favorite, I think one of the coolest, but also cruelest features of Facebook is, I feel like it used to be called Time Hop. Now it's Facebook Memories. I think it's one of the coolest, but also cruelest uh, features of Facebook. And this past week, my Facebook memories has just been filled with uh, fantasy football drafts of years past. Just pictures of me and my friends for the past five years, different nights. Uh, And it's the same caption every time. The most wonderful time of the year. I love fantasy football, and I'm excited for that to kind of kick off. But I know in a few days from now that this picture is going to show up in my Facebook memories timeline. And so this picture is about to be 11 years old, and this is the picture where I became a father. We gave birth to Eden, uh, who is now almost 11. And in that picture is my dad and my mom as well, and it's when they became grandparents for the first time. And my uh, my dad is in a wheelchair in this picture. You can't really see it, but we didn't know that in a few months after this picture being taken, my dad would, would pass away. And so one of my, my last great memories of my dad is him meeting Eden and seeing the joy that filled his heart and, and, and his life, uh, getting to meet her. But also there's, every time I see this picture, there's also a grief that he didn't get to meet the, the rest of Ash and I's children. So this is one of the first pictures of Eden and one of the last pictures of my dad. And this picture will pop up in a few days as a memory. 11 years ago, this happened. And, and time is, is crazy. Things go by fast. Eden is almost 11. She's in fifth grade, which means next year she'll start middle school, which just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem true. And I know for some of you who are grandparents or great-grandparents, you're like, just wait. But as we look at these pictures, as Facebook kind of shows me pictures of my life over the past decade, and I see different age stages for my kids, it's always bittersweet. It's beautiful. It makes me laugh. It makes me happy. There's also a grief that that season of life is now in the past. So Eden is about to start middle school in a year, and it's just crazy how life flies. And it reminds me of James, where James said, your life is just vapor. It's a mist. It's short. And that's the sermon. Like, we, <laughs> that's it, guys. Good morning. See you later. Uh, <laughs> A few years ago, this guy named Tim Urban wrote a blog article called uh, The Tail End. And at the time that Tim Urban wrote this article, he was 30 years old. And so here was the kind of the supposition. Here's the point of the article. He's 30. And he says, let's just say that I live to be 90 years old, which is a generous assumption. I'm 30. I live to be 90. That means I have 60 years of life left with this generous assumption. And so let's just look at the math of that. He said, if I were to eat pizza once a month for the next 60 years, that means 720 times more in my life I get to eat pizza. He said, if I was to go on a beach vacation once a year for the next 60 years of my life, that's 60 more beach trips. If I were to read five books a year for the next 60 years, that's 300 more books that I can read in my lifetime. Now, keep in mind, there's like 150 million books that have been written. And the number just grows and grows and grows and grows, right? It grows beyond our capacity to keep up, obviously. But if I were to read five books a year for the rest of my life, assuming I live 60 years, that's 300 more books I can read. 
Choose wisely. And then the article gets more depressing. (laughs) I'm just going to read straight from the article. He says this. I've been thinking about my parents who are in their mid-60s. During my first 18 years, I spent some time with my parents during at least 90% of my days. But since heading off to college and then later moving out of Boston, I've probably seen them an average of only five times a year each for an average of maybe two days each time, which means 10 days a year. About 3% of the days that I spent with them each year of my childhood. Being in their mid-60s, let's continue to be super optimistic and say that I'm one of the incredible lucky people to have both my parents alive into my 60s. Basically, let's assume that my parents who are now in their 60s live 30 more years and I see them 10 days a year. That means 300 more days I get to see my parents. That's less than I would spend with them in any one year from zero to 18 of my life. When you look at that reality, you realize that despite not being at the end of your life, you may very well be nearing the tail end of your time with some of the most important people in your life. And keep in mind, this whole article is assuming that we live to 90. My dad passed away at 52. The past two funerals we've had here at Asbury were people that passed away in their 50s. Life is vapor. Time is the one limited resource that we have, and we don't even know how much of that we actually have. Life is vapor. Cheers. (laughs) That's the sermon. In the beginning, uh, the scriptures tell us that God created time, and he told us that it was good. And in Genesis 1, this is, this is how it looks in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. So let's just kind of reflect on that together. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God sent them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So in the beginning, there's evening and morning, the fourth day. In the beginning, God arranged our world to exist in the the restraints and the constraints of time, day and night, seasons, weeks, months, years. And when God created the the world to operate in this fashion, he looked at it and he said, this is good. Now the Hebrew word for good that's that's used all over Genesis 1 and 2 is the Hebrew word tov, T-O-V. And it means four different things. The first thing that it means is there's a quality craftsmanship to the design. This is not an Ikea piece of furniture. This is hand-built quality ingredients meant to last, meant to endure, meant to be beautiful. There's a quality craftsmanship to the way God created the world and created the constraints of time. Secondly, Tov can mean there's harmony and balance. And even within that text, it said that God created the seasons for a purpose. And we can go to Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. And God creates time as this thing that, that has harmony and balance and beauty. And the third aspect of, of goodness or of tav is enjoyability. God created life and our time on earth to be enjoyed. 
Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, enjoy this creation that I've given you. And within this constraint of time, there is enjoyability. And then the last piece is there's intentionality. There's an intentionality to just how our ecosystem and how our world works within our mortality, that there's generations, that there's a finite amount of time that we have here on earth. There's a beauty, a quality, an intentionality to how God designed our lives. And David says this in the Psalms. He says, God, teach us to number our days. God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to live our lives with intentionality, to understand the resource of time so that we may gain wisdom in our hearts. We may have a heart of wisdom. So so David writes to God, teach us how to number our days, how to count our days, how to order them and put them in place. It's a beautiful verse to reflect on. And I want to just kind of give us a few ideas of what does it look like to number our days, to set intention to our lives so we can take this time that is finite, that we don't even know how much we actually have, and we can maximize the beauty of our days. What does it look like to, to number our days? The first thing I would say is to not hold on to regret and remorse and guilt and shame. Don't let your past rob you of your present. The main idea for maximizing our life is to continually fight to be present each and every day of our lives, to be awake to them. That's the, that's the fight for this whole thing. So how do we fight to stay present and live out each day within that day? And the first thing I'd say is we have to learn how to let go of regrets and remorse and guilt and shame. Don't let your past continue to rob your present. It doesn't mean that there's not a time to grieve. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have regrets or we shouldn't have guilt. We make mistakes, we do stupid things, we do sinful things. We should learn from our mistakes. It doesn't mean we don't reflect on the past, but we're not anchored to it. We're not bogged down to it or, or drowning in our past. Don't let the past rob you of your present. So, so don't hold on to regret. The second thing I'd say is that, converse of that, don't worry about the future. And I know that's way easier said than done, uh, but Jesus has a beautiful way of saying it in, in the Gospels. He says, which of you can add an hour to your life by worrying. Worrying does not add to our life. It actually subtracts. Just like you shouldn't let your past rob you of your present, don't let your future rob you of your present. Now, a few years ago, I was being sued. And it's a long story. I'll make it really short. Uh, we had a great Dane that barked at a plumber. The plumber fell down some stairs and hurt his leg. There's a lot more to the story than that, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> he sued us for $3 million. We didn't have it. <laughs> Checked I checked the bank accounts. I was like, don't got it, man. I don't know if you've ever been sued before. It sucks. It costs a lot of money, even if you win. <laughs> but another, one thing about being sued is it's a long process. This was a two-year process of me not knowing what would happen to our financial future. And I did all the right things. I hired a lawyer. I got all the evidence. I got pictures of uh, my little, my two-year-olds at the time walking the Great Dane. He's a good boy, you know. Um, we, we got pictures. We got like a, a letter of recommendation from a doggy daycare that said he's a good boy. We, we did all the good work. <laughs> we still had to wait two years to say, are they going to take me for all that I have? And they didn't. But for two years, I didn't know. And there was a season there where I was just like losing sleep at night. And then eventually I was just like, hey, this thing may cost me $10,000. It doesn't have to cost me a thousand nights of sleep. Uh, whatever is going to happen, I've done my work, I've done the preparation, but I, don't, I can't worry for two years about this. Like it's no way to live life. 
because it's not going to actually help the outcome. Jesus says, which of you can add an hour to your life by worrying? I know it's hard, and I'm not even talking about like clinical anxiety. That's a whole separate issue. But how do you add value to your present day? Don't worry about the future. Fight against that worry. So don't hold on to regret. Don't worry about the future. Don't be in a hurry. And that maybe for us, one of the hardest things is with smartphones constantly vying for our attention, uh, with, with the ability to be so productive, infinitely productive, we cram our schedules full of things to optimize productivity. And I just say, don't be in a hurry because being in a hurry robs you of the present. Seneca is a great Stoic philosopher. He says, a busy life is a brief one. A busy life is a brief one. So don't let the past rob you of your present. Don't let the future rob you of your present. And don't let a hurried life rob you of the present. In pursuit of what's next, we miss what's now. How do we number our days? Another thought is to restore or release relationships. And it could go either way. Restore or release relationships. I have some family members that um, a few years ago, they had like a quarrel. They had a, a conflict. And it was a genuine conflict on a scale of one to 10. It was like a five. It was a legit offense. But then they spent three years not talking to each other over a, a level five offense that was probably a 30 minute conversation could have wrapped it up. But for three years, they didn't speak to each other because they didn't deal with that offense, that, that conflict. And when I think about three years and I go back to that article, the tail end, and think we have no idea how many years we have left. And these family members are in their 60s. Like you gave three years of your, of your precious time not being in a relationship with a sibling because of this silly conflict. You, you, could have, you could have restored it more quickly than that. Um, so how do you maximize your life? How do you number your days? Restore the relationships that need to be restored. Settle the conflict. Make amends. And don't drag that on forever because you don't know how much time you actually have with that person you care about. On the flip side of that, it also might be releasing relationships. There might be people in your life like, hey, I've actually held on to this relationship long enough. And it's unhealthy and it's affecting the quality of my life in a negative way. And it might be time to kind of cut ties with that. There's plenty of scriptures and Proverbs and, and, and the Gospels and in Paul's letters that talk about like bad company corrupts good character. And don't entangle yourself with people that are quickly hot-tempered or quick to anger. Uh, don't, don't get bogged down with people that are just drowning in bitterness. The, the, the Bible gives us these categories of people to kind of avoid, to, to kind of cut loose, because they're going to drag you down and corrupt your own, the own quality of your life. So how do you maximize the, the, the time that you have on this earth? How do you number your days? It could be proactively restoring relationships quicker than you might want to. It also might be proactively releasing relationships quicker than you think you should. The trick is how to know when to know when to do which one to do, right? And, and I can't speak blankly to all of you guys. We have different situations and different relationships. But I strongly believe that the, the quality of our life is mostly determined by the quality of our relationships. I think the, we're, we're built to be in community. We're built to be connected and in a relationship. It's a fundamental part of our, our humanity. And the quality of our life, which we have a finite amount of days, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships. So do the work to either restore or release. And the last thing I'll say, how do we number our days? And this is maybe redundant, but just be intentional about what your day-to-day -day life looks like. One of my favorite comedians, I think he's just a genius, is Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, comedians in Cars, 
getting coffee, great. Seinfeld, the show, amazing. He's an incredible stand-up comic with impeccable timing. He's a great writer of jokes. There's a few documentaries about Jerry Seinfeld that I think are just fascinating. And in one of those documentaries, he talks about his method called the, the Red X Method. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but basically you take a calendar out. And, and for him to be an excellent genius comedian, he says, I want to write one joke a day. doesn't have to be a good joke. It just needs to be one joke a day. And I need to discipline myself to write one joke a day. And over time, that craft of writing a joke a day makes him a better comedian. And he has the Red X Method. So he takes out a calendar, and if he wrote a joke that day, he puts a Red X on that day. The Red X method. His goal was to have the longest unbroken chain of Red X's uh, to develop his craft as a great comedian. Does that make sense? Right. The Red X method. How many days in a row can I put a Red X over this and accomplish this thing? So what if we took that idea of the Red X method and just applied it to our lives? Like think about the things or the people that add the most value to your life. And what would it look like to create a sheet of like, I know that if I do these things or connect with these people every day, then the quality of my life is going to be hugely better. How do we create our own red X chain of unbroken days of doing things that add value to our life? Now, the trick with doing the red X thing with this kind of idea is it has to be like free <laughs> or cheap. It has to be manageable and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, this past week, started thinking about what would my red X day look like? What would my day that I want to replicate day after day look like to add value to my life? And it's pretty simple stuff. There's nothing groundbreaking here. The first thing I wrote down is an uninterrupted quality cup of coffee. An uninterrupted quality cup of coffee. Maybe you're not a coffee person. Maybe for you it's an uninterrupted quality cup of beer, right? It could be beer, wine, whatever your thing might be. It could be tea, water, whatever. For me, we have four small kids. We have a morning routine, get into school. And I would love every day to get up early enough to drink a cup of coffee in solitude, in silence. And maybe I'm reading a book, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just enjoying the cup of coffee, but that's, that's the mark of a start of a good day, an uninterrupted quality cup of coffee. Next, exercise. Everyone should do that, right? This is obvious, it's not brain surgery. Um, exercise. For me, I like to lift weights, and I like to take my dog on a walk. I'm not super disciplined in that, but what would it look like to have an unbroken string of days where I exercise every day? Time outside. And I'll just say, moving back to Louisiana, time outside in the summer, I hate it. Like, I hate walking to my car. It's just, bleh. yes, yes. I'm not going to do that in the mic, but yes. Time outside, vitamin D, right? Sunlight, it's good for you. Uh, connection with my wife. Just a meaningful conversation every day. Connection with my kids. Uh, that looks differently because we have four of them. I have one wife and four kids, so the quality and the time is different. But uh, it's a challenge to have the unbroken days of quality connection with my wife because our life is busy and chaotic. But what would it look like to make a discipline to have daily quality connection with my life, my wife? Connection with a friend. Now, it doesn't have to be the same friend every day. I think with my wife and my kids, I'm connecting with them every day. But outside of that, connection with a friend. Um, I'm going to give you a quick random free thing. Um, I'm going to throw in here. Uh, a friend of mine's like, hey, I have a working Rolodex. I have a list of like 20 names of people that I don't live in proximity to anymore that I, but I want to stay connected with. So what I do is if I'm on the way to point A to point B, if I have a five-minute break, a 10-minute break, I have this list, I call the person at the top of that list. If they answer and we connect, great, that day is done. If they don't, I move them to the bottom of the list, I call the next, next name in line. And I just methodically kind of work through that I'm constantly, intentionally connecting with people I care about. 
Um, it's a very easy, practical thing to do. So creating a Rolodex of people that you want to stay connected with, and when you have the moments in between, making the phone call and connect with them and seeing how they're doing and catching up. Connecting with a friend. And then lastly, doing something creative. Now, that can mean a million things. It could mean writing a song. It could mean work, writing in a journal. It could be gardening, whatever. That's what it looks like for me. Um, but doing something creative. God is creator. He created us to be creative. So doing something that's creative just for the sake of doing it, just for the sake of enjoying the process of creation. Not to be productive for my job or for anything else, but just to, to be creative. So if I could do these things, that's like six, seven things every day, and they're pretty, they're relatively, they're all free, except for the coffee, um, and they're relatively simple and, and manageable. If I could create a day that every day I make sure I hit that, that list, I know that the quality of that day is going to be great. And if I can string together a week, a month, a year of doing those things each and every day, that's a great week, that's a great month, that's a great year. We are given a finite amount of time on earth, and we have no idea what that actually, we don't even know what the number is, that's kind of the cruel thing. We have a limited resource, we don't actually know how limited it is. And God says there's a beauty in that, there's a goodness in that. And as David reflects on that, he says, God, teach me how to manage this, how to number this, how to be intentional about it, how to, to not take this for granted, but to, to live fully into each day. Teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. And then the question I just have for you is like, what would be on your list if you had, if I could create these practices, these connections in my life every day, these things add joy to my life. If I could do them every day and create this long string of unbroken days, what would be on your list? What would it look like to maximize that? Life is a vapor. Other translations, life is a mist. How does that phrase hit you this morning? If your life is vapor, what adjustments do you need to make? Let's pray.